Well, good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you are with us this morning as we uh, sing to our God, uh, the one who has called us to be here, the one who has called us uh, to follow him. And so, uh, again, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you are with us. This morning, we are going to look at a passage out of Acts, the book of Acts, the New Testament book that comes right after the gospel accounts. We're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, the passage is also, uh, if, if you don't have a Bible, there is also Bibles in the seat in front of you. You can grab those and pull them out. Um, it's good for us to have God's word in front of us, so I'd encourage you to have a copy of, of the word uh, open before you. But we're looking at Acts 10 as a way to conclude our series on the life of Peter. If you've been with us for the last couple of months, uh, we've been looking at the life of Peter through various accounts in the Gospels. Um, and there are many places we could turn in the book of Acts to continue this series, but, but we're going to conclude with this passage because in this passage in Acts 10, we have a change taking place. You see, Peter has a particular understanding of what the kingdom of God is to look like. Uh, who the people of God are, and this is going to be altered in this passage. His understanding, his presumption, who he thinks is in and who he thinks is out is going to start to change because of this passage, because of what occurs here. And so this is uh, where we are going to end our series on the life of Peter. Next week we'll start with our uh, series in the Psalms, as we have for the past few summers, and we'll continue for the next, I don't know, 20 years or so. But um, but before we read our uh, passage in Acts 10, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about this. Uh, if we were sitting down across the table from one another and I asked you, um, what does a Christian look like? How would you answer that? If I was to ask you, um, how do you know that someone is a Christian just by looking at them, what would you say? Maybe another way of putting it is, who is in the kingdom and who is out? I want you to think about that. How would you answer that question? I don't need any audible answers right now. You can keep those to yourself and maybe share them with me afterwards. But, but I want us to be thinking about that as we read this passage. Beginning in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. This is God's word. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at, at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. 
what is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, for, I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. And you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God, our King, we do ask that as we come to this portion of your word that you would help us, that you would help me and that you would help each one of us so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would please you, would give you glory, would honor you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for about... um, Six days in the winter of 2006, Kat and I were in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, We were in Atlanta because uh, we were doing campus ministry at the time. Before we went to seminary in St. Louis, we spent, I spent four years, Kat spent seven years doing campus ministry, and every Christmas season, we would do a conference in Atlanta. And so there we were over New Year's uh, with a couple thousand college students from all over the Southeast. And this particular year, I was actually in charge of the conference. And so I was not getting enough sleep these few days, and I was looking pretty ragged. I was looking, honestly, I 
probably smelled as bad as I looked because I was getting far too little sleep. I was staying up far too late and getting up far too early, and I, I was just happy that I was getting my conference event t-shirt on so everybody knew that I was the answer man for the day. I looked nasty. I looked gross, right? I was running around. I was, I was uh, spending these few days and numbers of hours with thousands of college students, but it was so much fun. We had a great time. It was wonderful being around these students because they had so much energy and excitement, right? We were doing great worship, and we were hearing wonderful teaching. But, but there was also excitement and energy in Atlanta over, this few, over these few days because the Sugar Bowl was actually being hosted at the Georgia Dome that year. Now, if you're familiar with college football, you know that the Sugar Bowl actually takes place in New Orleans at the Superdome, but this was on the tail end of Hurricane Katrina, and so all the events that had normally taken place in New Orleans had to be relocated, and so for this year, the Sugar Bowl was in Atlanta. And so not only were there a couple thousand college students, but there were tens of thousands of fans. And in fact, one of the teams was staying in the hotel we were at, and so there was tons of energy and excitement. And to make things even better, uh, me, because I was leading the conference and because of the connections I had made, was actually given a pass to the Sugar Bowl, which is pretty cool. Now, I know that's pretty cool, even though I don't really love college football. I know that's like anathema in the South, but, uh, but I don't really follow college football. But I knew that I should go to the Sugar Bowl because this was going to be a big event, right? And so I went. One night, the night that it was taking place, I, I left the conference a little bit early. I knew it was in good hands. I showed up a little bit late to the game, and I showed up in my nasty, gross-looking event staff T-shirt, my dirty jeans, and my backpack with all the information that I need for the conference. That's how I showed up at the Georgia Dome that night. And I walked in with my friend who also was given a pass, and we started looking for where we were supposed to go, where our seats were so that we could watch this big event. And as we were looking for our seats, we noticed some people walking by us, actually a big group of people, and they didn't look like us. They were dressed in suits and ties and coats and dresses. They looked like that they were going to a wedding, not a football game. And so we were perplexed, we were surprised, and so we started following them to see where they were going. <laughs> and we saw that they were all headed to this one room. This one room, and they all started filing in, and the door opened, and we could see from the background what was inside that room. It was a room with tables of food and drinks and TVs on the wall, and then the door closed on us. It was the VIP lounge. That's where all these dressed-up people were going. They were heading into this room, and so we started to approach the room, but we, we noticed that it wasn't just a door that was stopping us. There were these two giant men <laughs> standing on both sides of the door, dressed all in black with earbuds in their ear, the kind of men that looked like they could like, pick me up and just snap me in half, right? These are the kind of men that were standing there. And they were standing on both sides of the door to ensure that the right people got in, and the wrong people stayed out. And by our appearances, we were the wrong people. Right? I mean, we didn't look like we belonged in that room. It looked like we should stay outside of that door. That we should go find our seats. That, that we should go sit with the rest of the riffraff. We didn't belong in the VIP lounge. It was clear by just our appearance that we weren't allowed in that room that we had no place in that space. And up until now, 
Up until Acts chapter 10, I imagine that Peter had a similar thought about the kingdom of God. You see, if we could go back in time and ask Peter the same question I asked y'all before we started this sermon, who gets in? Who's a part of the kingdom of God? What does a Christian look like? Surely we would hear things about believing in Jesus, and no doubt he would invoke the resurrection, but he would probably also include something about being Jewish. Right? Because up until now, really everyone who had come to faith, everybody who had been brought into the kingdom had been Jewish, with a few exceptions, right? We know the Ethiopian eunuch, but... But the vast majority of the people who were believing were believing because they believed in the promises made to Israel. They were Jewish believers, right? They were believing in the promises made to Israel that Jesus would be the savior of the Jewish people, that he would actually come out of Israel, that he would deliver them. But what about the Gentiles? What about the nations? What about people like us? Because I look out and... And a lot of us don't look ethnically Jewish. What about us? What about the nations? Well, in Peter's understanding, they they probably would have been outside the room, not allowed to come close. Oh, they could have come close if they became Jewish first. But all of that's about to change. In this passage, we're seeing that the kingdom of God is bigger than Israel. In this passage, what we see is that the expanse of God's kingdom is far bigger than Peter could have ever realized. That we see that the expanse of God's kingdom is bigger than Peter knew. And it's revealed to Peter through this vision. So that's where this begins, right? Peter is on a journey, and he goes up to the top of the roof to pray, and as he's up there, he gets a little hungry, and so he asks for someone to prepare some food. And as they're preparing the meal, as he's waiting for the food to come up, he has a vision. He goes into a trance, and the vision is the sheet filled with animals and reptiles and birds, and it's descending from heaven. And as it's coming down, Peter hears the voice of God say, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter's a good Jewish man. He knows the Old Testament law, and so he says in verse 14, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament law, that might seem like a strange response, right? I mean, he just heard God say, rise, kill, and eat, and his first response was, ah, I don't think so. Like, that's not the right response to God, by the way. (laughs) But he's just trying to understand in the context of the Old Testament law. We know if we went back and we read Leviticus that we would see that there were dietary restrictions put on God's people. Right? That the law was presented in a variety, was applied to a variety of situations for his people. And one of them was in regards to food that they weren't to eat particular kinds of food, and they actually weren't even supposed to touch particular kinds of animals because to do so would make them ceremonially, ritually unclean, which meant that they weren't allowed to go to worship, which meant that they were outside of God's people, at least for a time, until they were made clean. And so when Peter sees reptiles and birds and animals and he hears eat, that's why he says, no, 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 no way. I know the law. I know I'm not supposed to touch these things. In fact, he says, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. But the voice pressed harder. 
The Lord says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Three times this happened. Three times Peter hears, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now I have to tell you, we probably have no category for how jarring this would have been to Peter. We probably cannot understand what this was doing to him. In fact, in verse 17, we're told that he was perplexed. And he should be, because these dietary restrictions, these ceremonial laws, were a part of what it meant to be Jewish. It was a part of his Israelite identity, and now that is being challenged. You see, one of the purposes of the dietary laws was a way of distinguishing God's people from the other nations. It was a way of setting them apart from the people around them. It was a way of reflecting their distinctiveness about who they were. But now? Well, now those distinctions are coming apart. You see, Peter had been perplexed about what this meant. He was uncertain, but, but he starts to see what God is doing. He starts to reveal what this means You see, he realizes that what God has showed him is much more than about food laws. It's about nations and about people. We see this in verse 28 when Peter shows up at Cornelius' house. Listen to what he says. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. You see, Peter realizes that the vision that he has seen is more than just dietary restrictions. It's about the nations. It's about the people that he's going to interact with. He's putting the pieces together. God's kingdom is no longer limited to Israel. You see, with the coming of Christ, a new day in redemptive history has dawned. A day that was promised in the Old Testament. I mean, do you remember the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis? That Abraham, through Abraham, the families of the earth would be blessed. And the promise that was made to Isaiah that God would one day call Egypt his people and Assyria the work of his hands. Okay, just think about that for a second. Put yourself in the context, the position of an Old Testament Israelite, and you hear that Egypt and Assyria will be part of God's people. If you could think of the enemies of God, surely you would think of Egypt and Assyria, right? Because these are the people who brought death and slavery and destruction to God's people. They were the enemies of God's people. And now God is saying, there is a day that is coming when my grace will be so great that even Egypt will be part of my number. That even Assyria will sing praise to me. That they will be the work of my hands and Egypt will be my people. So I have to ask you, what does a Christian look like? Let's go back to that question. What does a Christian look like? Or, Or maybe we can put it another way to get at from another perspective. What doesn't a Christian look like? What kind of person isn't in God's kingdom? I mean, certainly Israel would have thought Egypt and Assyria No doubt, there is no way they're part of God's kingdom. But what about us? Who do we look at and we think there's no way they're entering in the kingdom of God? 
Are there people in our lives, people in our world, people from other nations that we think the kingdom of God probably won't include them? What about your neighbor? What about the neighbor down the street who has the big biker beard and the tattoos to go with that beard? And he's kind of a curmudgeon a little bit. He's kind of crotchety, and he yells at cars that drive by too fast, and, and he's kind of uh, annoyed by the kids playing out on the street. What about that guy? Like, like, could the kingdom of God encompass him? What about that person who has political views that are so contrary to your own that to even think about them makes your blood boil? Like, you can't wait to tweet about it. <laughs> What about that person? Could they be brought into the kingdom of God? Can Republicans? I'm not laughing. Could Democrats? Could people associate with the alt-right and the uber-progressive left? Can they be brought into the kingdom of God? You see, what we are seeing from this passage is that the expanse of God's kingdom is as broad as the nation's. The picture that we have of Acts is the kingdom going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the picture that we have of Revelation when Jesus comes and he consummates his kingdom and he brings the new heavens and the new earth is people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people standing before the throne and singing with one voice, united together as his people. That is the vision that God gives us of his kingdom. Up until now, Peter would have thought that the kingdom of God looked like Jewish believers, but what we are seeing is that God's kingdom includes Jewish believers and includes Asian believers and African believers and white Westerners and black Americans, and it goes on and on, that the kingdom isn't limited to one people, but it is as, as expansive as the nations themselves. So what do you do if you have that person in your life that you think there's no way they could come into the kingdom? If you have someone in your head right now that you are thinking, there's no way that God's grace would penetrate that person's heart. I see the way that they look. I see the words that they use. I think we need to pray. And before we pray for them, which we should, we probably need to pray for ourselves. And we probably need to repent. Because as soon as we say there's no way that guy could come into the kingdom, we are reducing God's kingdom to what we think it should look like. We probably need to repent. And we need to ask God to give us eyes to see his kingdom as he sees it. A kingdom where people of differing political views and different nations and different languages and different colors can all be ushered in. And then we can pray for them. And we should. But I mean, think about, like, like just think about it. Some of y'all's stories, some of y'all are the very people that others were saying, there is no way that they will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Right? Yes. I've heard y'all's stories. It is crazy. <laughs> and the Lord brought you into his people. And he brought me into his people. So why would we limit the expanse of his kingdom to others? 
Now, if the kingdom of God is as broad as the nations, does that mean that the entry point is as broad as well? Well, what Peter tells us is that though it is as broad as the nations, that the entry point into the kingdom is as narrow as a man. It is very, very narrow. That's what we see in verses 34 through 43. Follow along what Peter says. He says, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Do you hear what Peter is saying? That though the kingdom is as broad as the nations, that the entry point into the kingdom is as narrow as a man. That the peace that the nations is looking for only comes through Christ. That the forgiveness of our sins only comes through Jesus. That the gate, the doorway, the entry place is narrow. That's why Jesus in John's gospel calls himself the door. He calls himself the door because entry into the kingdom, fellowship with the Father comes only through him. Christ is the door for the immoral and for the sinner. You see, no sin is too great that Christ's grace cannot overcome it. But he is not only the doorway for the sinner, for the immoral person, he is also the doorway for the moral, for the good guy. I mean, did you know something about Cornelius as I was reading? I don't know if you picked up on this, but, but Cornelius is a pretty moral guy, isn't he? I mean, did you hear the words that describe him in verse 22? Cornelius is upright. He's God-fearing. When Peter shows up, he bows himself in humility. He's humble. This is a man of authority, and he bows himself before a fisherman. He's well spoken of. To everyone around him, Peter, or Cornelius, looks the part. Right? In verse 31, we're told that he prayed and he gave alms. Cornelius was moral and upstanding. And yet it wasn't enough. Right? God said, I heard your prayers. I've seen your alms, your giving of alms. I've seen your generosity. And so how does God respond? He says, you need to still hear a message. Your moral goodness is not enough. You still need to hear this message that I'm sending Peter to proclaim to you. And that's because for all of his generosity and for all of his prayers and for all of his moral uprightness, he was still outside of the kingdom of God. And friends, the, tr the same is true of us. That's not our morality. It's not our good works. 
It's not our generosity and it's not our prayers that gain us entry into the kingdom of God. It is only the grace of God shown in Christ. You see, the truth is, is that a Christian, a Christian knows very, very well that we need our immoral acts and our sinful works to be forgiven. But the Christian also knows, as one pastor put it, that we need our damnable good deeds to be forgiven as well. That God's grace isn't just for the immoral, but it's also for the person who looks so upright and so clean and so good. And I have to tell you that in Roanoke, Virginia in 2019, this is the context that most of us are living in. Right? I mean, I know that we're surrounded by people who flaunt their sin and, and their immorality. We can probably all name those people in our lives. But, but actually, the majority of us, I would imagine, are surrounded by people who look very, very moral, who look very, very clean, who look very, very upright, and who are very, very much outside of God's kingdom. I mean, maybe even some of you this morning. Maybe as you sit here this morning, maybe you are looking to your morality and you are trusting in your benevolence and you are holding on to your uprightness, but friends, that will not gain you entry into the kingdom of God. That will not gain you entry into the kingdom of God. I mean, the prophet Isaiah said it, that, that all of our good deeds are simply filthy rags before the Lord. You see, Peter didn't point Cornelius to his good works. He didn't say, Cornelius, you're so close. Just a little bit more. If you would just give a little bit more. If you would just help your brother a little bit more. If you would just be more kind to your neighbor. Just a little bit. You're so close. That's not what he said. He didn't point Cornelius back to his good works or to his moral deeds. What he pointed him to was the gate. He pointed him to the door, to the entry point to the kingdom. He pointed him to Christ. And that is where we all are needing to be pointed. That is where we are all needing to be pointed. Whether you bring all of your sinful deeds in this morning or you are clinging to your righteous or what you perceive to be righteous deeds. We are all needing to be pointed to the grace of the Lord shown in Christ. He is the doorway into his kingdom. And I have to tell you that as I approach those two giant men, who, who probably could have taken their hand and, like, crushed my skull. <laughs> As I started to approach them, uh, I saw them starting to look me and my friend over. They were looking us up and down. They saw our book bags. They saw our nasty event staff T-shirts and our uh, dirty jeans. And they knew we weren't allowed in that room. They knew we didn't belong. And, and as we started to get closer to them and we felt their eyes bearing down upon us, and we saw their mouths start to open to say, you know, move along. We pulled out these tags that were hanging around our necks. We took them off of our necks, these passes, and we held them out in front of them, and, and these two giant men took them, and they looked at the pass, and they looked at us, and they looked at the pass, and they looked at us, and then they looked at the pass, and they looked at each other, and they handed the pass back to us and they stood aside and they opened the door and they welcomed us into the VIP lounge. <laughs> you see, friends, we didn't look like we belonged. 
And to be honest, our economic status and our attire screamed we didn't belong. But where we were from and how we were dressed and what we looked like on that night didn't matter because of that tag. It didn't matter because of that past, because that past gave us entry into that room. That past told us we belonged in that place regardless of what we looked like, regardless of where we came from. And that's what Peter is telling Cornelius, and that's what he's telling us. That there is nothing about us that gives us entry into the kingdom of God. That if you are belonging to Christ, if you are trusting in him, regardless of your history or your age or your ethnicity or anything else that would separate us from one another, regardless of any of those things, if you are trusting in Christ, you are welcomed into God's kingdom. That he is the door, that he is the entry, he is the pass that allows us entry into his kingdom. A kingdom that includes Jew and Gentile. A kingdom that includes young and old and rich and poor. A kingdom that includes every tribe and tongue and nation and people. All united together as one people before our king who welcomes us into his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we do thank you. We thank you that your kingdom is bigger than we can imagine. That your kingdom is as expansive as the nations that you have made. That your kingdom will include every tribe and tongue, every nation and people. It is hard to imagine that, Lord. And so we ask that you would give us eyes to see. That you would remind us of your grace that is greater than our sin. That you would remind us of your grace that, is, that we are in need of with our good deeds. That you would, Father... Give us a vision for what your kingdom is so we would live in light of it, giving thanks to our God and our King who welcomes us into his kingdom. And it's in his name that we pray and God's people said, amen. I'll invite the ushers to come forward and we'll take this morning's tithes and offerings.